Okay, we're going to be here on the top of Kufnun Dawud Amun Aleph. Yesterday we had the statement of Rami Bar who said, Someone who is in violation of Mechamer, of driving, goading the animal, then with a load on it on Shabbat, Shugeg Chayav Chatat, Mizid Chayav Skidah. That was a statement that we had yesterday, basically saying that Mechamer is like any other Malacha, and it has the properties of any other Malacha, which is in Shogeg, you'll be Chayav Chatat, and Mezid, you'll be Chayav Skila. Rava challenged that position. He had two questions on the position. One is the Mraita Sanhedrin, and the other one is the connection to Abu Zarah, the correlation to Abu Zarah for all Chataot. He says that requires a Maseh. Without a Maseh, you cannot be Chayav. Mechamer only has a word, doesn't have a Maseh. And the Diuk from the Mishnah in Sanhedrin, which the Gemara rejected because there were other possibilities to fill in besides Michamer of Milachot that don't have the properties of the other 39 Milachot but still are Asur Mido Oraita. Now, Rav Zvid, Matnihachi. Rav Zvid had Rami Barchama saying it this way, which is, Amar Rabbi Barchama, HaMechamer Achar Behema B'Shabbat B'Shogeg Eno Chayav Chatat B'Mezid Chayav Skila. Now you have Rami Barchama saying that B'Shogeg No Chatat B'Mezid Yes Skila. The Meitiv Rava so Rava again here poses a question. HaMelachalel at the Shabbat B'Davar Shechayavin Al Shigigigol Chatat Chayavin Al Dono Skila. The Brayta in Sanhedrin says B'Davar Shechayavin Al Shigigigol Chatat Something you Chayav Chatat for then you are Chayav Skila for. Ha! He wants to draw an inference from that. Ain Chayavin Al Shigigigol Chatat If you're not Chayav Chatat then you would not be chayav al-skila. The Gemara answers that that's really not the case. That's not what the inference you can draw is. The only inference you can draw is a positive statement, which is that if it does have a chatat, then it certainly will have skila. It doesn't prove anything about the other side, which is if it doesn't have a chatat, you really have no information about what it will have in that situation. That's exactly what the Gemara says. Tani, It's not formulated in the negative. It's only formulated in the positive. Positive statement tells you or affirms that if you have a chatat, you'll have skila. It doesn't prove anything about the negative statement, which is if you do not have a chatat, you will not have skila. Elor, hachikamar. Devar shechayavin chatat. skila. Something that you're chayav a chatat for, you will be chayav skilat. V'yesh davar, she'en chayavin al shkigato chatat, chayavin al zdano skilat. And you could easily make a statement which would not be in contradiction, which said that if it doesn't have a chatat, it may have skilat. And that would not be contradictory to the Braita or the Mishnah and Sanhedrin. And therefore, they have no proof from this. Umaynihu. And what would that be? Mechamer. Mechamer would be an example of that like Rav Zvid has in the name of Rami Barchama. Now we have Rava saying what he thinks it is, but this is Rava, Achua, the Rav Mari Barachel. Rava, the brother of Rav Mari Barachel. We bumped into Rav Mari Barachel before. Rav Mari Barachel, anytime you have that type of setup, you know the reason that he is the son of a woman is because his father was not appropriate, there was something wrong with his father, and therefore they put his ichus after his mother. In this case, assuming that this is similar to the Mari Barachel that is found other places in Shas, Rav Mari Barachel bat Shmuel. Rachel was one of the daughters of Shmuel that was taken into captivity. Rachel married an individual named Isur Gira, Isur the Ger, and supposedly Rav Mari was conceived Shalobi Kedusha before Isur Gira had converted, and then Nolad Bikdusha was born after he had converted. So Rav Mari is the son of Rachel and Isur Gira, who was the grandchild of Shmuel. Remember, the daughters of Shmuel were taken into captivity. But the question of how it transpired, the Gemara tells a story about the daughters of Shmuel, and it sounds like the daughters of Shmuel remained Tehorim while they were in captivity. Tosafot over here discusses it a little bit in regards to the Gemara and Ketubot. 
what happened in that story, and how is it that that correlates with the stories in other places in Shas that says the reason that he's Rami Rav Mari by Rachel is because Horatan Shalobi Kedusha, which would indicate that she did have Bia with someone prior to being converted or probably to being married, which would suggest that while she was in captivity, something happened. Now he is Rava, the brother of Rambari by Rachel, which would either indicate that he's also the child of Iser Gira Rachel, or possibly the child from a, another marriage, and that's how he's a half-brother. But whatever that setup is, that is manageable and understandable. The Amri law, the next statement, is a very difficult statement, and as well as the commentary in the Gemara, which is, Ramila Avua, the Rav Mari Barachel, that he was the father of Rav Mari Barachel, which would say that he is the husband of Rachel. Rav, the husband of Rachel, who gave birth to Rav Mari, Rav Mari's father. So for a number of reasons, that proves problematic. Rashi already says, Davua de Rav Mari, He can't be the father of Rav Mari. Number two is, if Rav is really the father of Rav Mari, then it should be Rav Mari bar Rav. Why wouldn't you put Rav's name there? Why would you put Rachel there? Putting Rachel there is an indication of the fact that they don't think that the father is Ra'ui to put there. And Rav himself, there's no reason to believe that he shouldn't have been put there. The next thing, we'll get back to other claims, is what the Gemara asks over here, which is that Galishna Batra, to this ladder, Lashon, Kasha had the Rav. That which Rav said is problematic, because Akshare the Rav, Mari, Barachel, Umani, Bepursi de Bavel. That Rav appointed Rav Mari, Barachel, be one of the leaders in Bavel. And tomorrow over there, Darshins, any leadership position that you appoint has to be Mikerev Achecha. Has to be from amongst your brothers. Has to be someone who is completely entirely Jewish. Mikerev Achecha. And because of that, people objected to or were surprised surprised that Rav had appointed Rav Mari Barachel as a leader. Rashi says here that he was a ministrel, shotrim. I don't know if that means from the word minister, shotrim. He was a sheriff of some sort. And Rav approved of him because he knew that even though Horata Shalom Kedushah, that he was, was born as a Jew. And certainly because his mother was Jewish. And he was a full-fledged Jew. But again, this raises the issue of why was there any questions about his lineage? Is because of his father. Questions about his lineage came from his father, and his father was a ger. And Rova is not a ger. So how could you suggest that Rova is the father of Rav Mari Barachel? Interesting answer to the Gemara. Dimotre Mari Barachel Havu. Maybe there are two different Rami Barachels, and getting it confused. That only avoids this question, does not avoid the other question of why the lineage is given in the name of Rachel and not in the name of Rova. The other thing that Tosafot deals with is if this really is the Rami Barachel, Let's think about this. This is Shmuel. Shmuel is a first generation Amora. This is his daughter. And then Rava. So I'd make Rava third, maybe fourth generation Amora in that sense. And then you have Isurgura, who here is appointed by Rav. That means that he is already a Talmud Chacham in the time of Rav. It means that he's also alive afterwards to marry the daughter of Shmuel. And then still alive here with Rava. As the Gemara notes that Rav Mari Barachel had financial transactions with Rava, the son of Rav Yossi Barchamo, the Rava that we know in Shas, Rav and Abaye, which would mean that he was alive both in the time of Rav and all the way down to the fourth generation Amora Rava. So he would have to be alive for a huge span of time. That would make it also more implausible. And so therefore, 
It seems to be that the Girsa doesn't belong here. The Amri law, Rashi wipes it out. Tosafot wipes it out. The Bach wipes it out. They take out the Zavua, the Rav Mari Barachel. And then this whole thing about the Lishna Batra seems to be an addition or commentary that was on the side that might get pulled into the Gemara or added into the Gemara. Tosafot does off the alternative, which is the Girsa of the Rabbeinu Hananel, which he thinks is right. He says, Venira compares Rabbeinu Hananel to Garcinan B'Yavamot, the Rav Ashi. Actually, the Rav Mari Barachel. He says, to make this all work, he said it would make more sense to say that Rav Ashi was the one who appointed Rav Mari Barachel. Because Rav Mari Barachel, for Rav to be able to appoint Rav, Rav Mari Barachel, again, you have to have Rav Mari Barachel be alive in the time of Rav, and then still alive generations later to meet to be with Rava. Meaning that he was alive for a very long span, it doesn't make sense. But if you assign it to Rav Ashi, then it makes sense. Then you're talking about fifth generation Amora, who appointed Rav Mari Barachel, and Rav Mari Barachel would have been older, and it would have made sense that he was a Talmud Chacham when he appointed him. If you take Rav out of the picture, you eliminate this problem of the time span. Because then you don't have to have from Rav all the way down to Rava. You have Ravashi, who is a generation later, and that would make a lot of sense that it was Ravashi who appointed Rav Mari Barachel. By putting Ravashi as the one who appoints Rav Mari Barachel, you solve part of the problem. And again, not it being that Rava was necessarily his father, but Rava, like we have in the Gerson Argumar, that it's Ahua, that is his brother. That's just a sidebar parenthetical. Because they're about to make a statement, and that's why they're right over here, which is that we have a quote, Rava Achua, the Rav Mari Barachel, now quotes, He brings down in the name of Rav Yochanan, Liftor, to say Patur, which is, So now we have three different positions in Mechamer. We have the first position of Rami Barchama, which is Yochayav in everything. Yochayav Chatat, Yochayav Skila. Second statement according to Rav Zvid and Rami Barchama, which says no Chatat, yes Skila. And then we have the position of Rabbi Yochanan, which is none. You don't have a Chatat, you don't have a Skila. Shogeg lo mechayev Chatat, and Shogeg there's no Chatat. The entire Torah is connected to Avodah Zarah, which means that you need a Maaseh in order to be Chayav a Chatat. Here you lack a Maaseh because there's Dibur and no Maaseh. The same reason that Rav Zvid gives and the way Rova questions Rami Barcham in the first place. Then, Bemezid, Nami Lamechayev, it's not. Amechalelot Shabbat, Bedavar Shechayevino Shigigadol Chatat, Baal Zdono Skila, Ha, Ein Chayevino Shigigadol Chatat, Ein Chayevino Zdono Skila, which is, again, what Rava, the inference that Rava brought on the questioning of Rami Barchama, say that if you're not Chayav Chatat, then you're not Chayav Skila. They draw that inference, even though it doesn't necessarily have to be true. And then, Belav, Nami Lamechayev, he's not even Chayav Makot, Tevilav, Shinitan, Nazarat Mitad. Beitin. says that it's a lav that leads to a death penalty. Any lav that serves or ends up with a punishment, a capital punishment in Beitin, you do not get malkot on. Torah tells you do not do something. Question is, what does that mean? It can either be what we call an azhara, a warning. Do not do this, because if you do this, you'll get such and such punishment. That is, if the punishment's written somewhere else, or through some sort of limud we have the punishment, then that lav serves as a warning. Don't do this, and the onesh will be laid out by the Torah, and that you will not get malkot for, because it's simply a warning not to do this, because there will be this punishment. And then if you have a lav that stands alone, so the Torah says don't do this, and there's no punishment associated with it, then the standard punishment for a lotas in the Torah is malkot. It's then getting lashes. Malkot will be the punishment, and it's incorporated in the lav. So we have a principle here, that any lotas, any time the Torah says, don't do this, and then there is a manifestation of the punishment as a 
capital punishment in Beitin, then that's the onish. And the lab itself, on a standalone basis, will not give you makot. So here it's an interesting case, because here you have lo taseko malacha. You're not allowed to do malacha on Shabbat. Malacha on Shabbat for the 39 malachot results in a death penalty. So this lo is a lav, shnitan nazarat mitad beitin. It also happens to be the lav for mechamer. So mechamer, even though it itself does not attain skila. But since the lav which it derives from does have skila associated with it, you will not get makot for the lotaseh homlacha of michamer. So large tosot over here that deals with this principle because he finds there's an exception to that rule, which is lotaneh reyachayit shaker. And over there, even though lotaneh reyachayit shaker can result in a chiyuv mitad beitin or azad mitad beitin, nevertheless, we still give makot in certain situations. Tosot over here has to figure out why lotaneh is different than lotaseh homlacha, and he spends a lot of time really not related to our sugya, more related to the sugya of Edim Zomimim and Ede Sheker, trying to show why Lotaneh Berecha Yitzhakar is different than the love of Shabbat over here. But because the love of Shabbat results in a death penalty in certain instances, when you violate it because of Mechamer, you're not going to be Chayav Malkot. Even according to one who says normally, when it comes to a Lav Shnitan Lazarat Beitin, that you still can get Malkot, Lokin, Lichtov Rachmana, Lotasek O Malacha, Uvem Techa. Torah should have written, don't do any Malacha, and same with your animals. Ata, the fact that the Torah says, and puts in the word Ata as well, Seems to be mafsik lamali. Why would you do that? What's that hefseg of atah? Who? Neo de mechayev. Hemto lo mechayev. Come to teach you that he is chayav. His behema is not chayav. Post to Rami Bachama before who correlated the two. And he said behema kamalata. He says there is that juxtaposition teaches you the animal has the same din as you. Just like you, there's a chayav chatat and skila. So too by the animal, there is a chayav skila and chatat. Rabbi Yochanan over here suggests that's not the case. It's atah actually creates a wedge between the lotasem komalacha and the behema. And it says that atah is the only one who gets the resultant punishment of lotasem komalacha, even if you believe that you can get makot for lotasem komalacha, but behema is precluded from that punishment. He reaches the outer realms of the city where it's protected, he can dump his stuff. If the animal is carrying glassware, he brings pillows, mattresses, puts it on the ground around it, he releases the saddle packs, and the bags fall onto the mattresses, and hope for the best. That you can pick up things that are not muksa on Shabbat, you can take them directly off the animal. Over here, you're talking about glassware. Glassware, why would it be muksa on Shabbat? Glassware usually has utility on Shabbat, and it should be something that's not muksa. Why can't you just take the glass off the animal? Why do you have to let it drop onto the mattress? He's talking about the horns of the blood letters, or the tools of their trade, the instruments of their surgery, were these horns that had a sharp end to them. They placed the sharp end in, whether they had a metallic tip or whether the glass was sharp at the end. And they used to insert them to get the blood to come out. And then the blood drained into the horn as a bloodlet. So those are muksa machmat mius. They're muksa. Well, first of all, you can't use them much about. But even more importantly, they're maus. Because they have blood in them. They have residual stains in them. And nobody wants to touch them. Those carne domino de lo that he can't use on Shabbat. So Maris says now, something that we had seen earlier, the Masech, the Bahakum of Ato, by doing that, if they're mutzo, 
and now you're bringing Karim and Kasatot, the pillows and the mattresses now become a base for the muksa, and now they're stuck there. Because you have muksa on them, they become a basis the muksa. Basis the muksa means you're not going anywhere, you're stuck. Rashi says that's a problem of dami the soter. So Rashi over here calls it soter. We've seen that earlier in the Masechta, he called it binyan. He has both statements of binyan and soter. Basically, the bli is stuck in place and loses its utility on Shabbat when you allow the muksa to fall on it. And where it says, Bishlife Zutre, talking about small loads or small items so that when they fall, they can roll off the mattress or you can roll them off the mattress. It's not that you have to lift them off. It's not that the muksa is then stuck on top of the mattress, but then you can have tiltum minatsad or you can slowly move them down to the ground without ever touching them because they're small loads and without breaking them. So because of that, it won't be mevatel kli me'echano. Meitavit. Ha'ita bemto tuna tevel ve'ashishiyot. If the behema is carrying tevel, which obviously is not usable on Shabbat, is muksa, ashishiyot, shel zuchuchit, glass lamps, or either planes or blocks of glass, matirat ha'chavalim, he releases the saddlebags, v'asakim no'flim, and they fall, v'af albi shemishtabrim, even if they break. Over there, it sounds like you can't bring in the Karim and Kisatot put underneath them. Where it says, Hotam Bekulsa. Over there, we're talking about pieces of glass. He says that they are thick pieces of glass that are used for windows. And even if they break, they're not going to diminish so much in value because you can use the pieces, whatever pieces that break from these thicker bricks, you use those pieces for put into the window or fit into the different size windows that you have. Rashi says you cut them down to size afterwards and you use them for windows or window panes. So there's not a huge loss in them breaking. So that's why over there we don't allow you to use the Karim and Kasatot because you can have them break and you wouldn't worry about it so much. Take that makes sense. The Ketani, do me the Tevel. My Tevel is a little chazile, just like Tevel is not useful for you. Ranami, lo chazile. Over here we're talking about glass that is not useful on Shabbat. These are shiot. This glass that you have here is not something that you use on Shabbat because it's a building material. My Afopish Mishtabrim. What does it mean? Even though they break. Madutim, what I thought they have said, Muadnami, Chashashu. Chazal allowed you to violate, Mivata Glimi Hechano, prevent small losses. Mashallah, that we do not do that. In this case, there are small losses. Even though the pieces of glass are all useful, there are still small shards or small pieces of glass that break away that are never going to be used again. They're going to fall away or break away that you won't recover. And there is some small loss here. But that, we don't worry about. For that small loss, we're not allowing you to bring in Karim because Satot. Mashallah, that that's not the case. Only by Hafsid Meruba, we allow you to do that. Tanya. If it's carrying a load of green, puts his head under one side, and it's stretched across the animal, extends on both sides of the animal. Then you get your shoulder underneath, or your head underneath one side. By doing that, it forces it to the other side and falls off on the other side when you push it on over. And then it falls down by itself. The donkey of Rabbi Gamaliel was carrying honey. And he didn't want to take it off until after Shabbat. Shabbat Shabbat, the animal died. It had to sit there the whole Shabbat with the honey on its back. And it died. What about our Mishnah? You can take off things that are not Dvash, You can eat on Shabbat. So if Dvash you can eat on Shabbat, then why couldn't he take it off the animal? What was the problem? It says, When it went bad. The Honey spoiled. Whether it hardened, coagulated, whatever it is that happened to the honey, and it went bad. It's hard for honey to go bad. The honey went bad over here, and therefore it was muksa because you couldn't eat it on Shabbat. It says, what is he doing with it? If it really went bad, 
then why is he even traveling? What's he collecting bad honey for? It's good for salves or medicinal usage on camels when they have a cut or they have something like that. They used to put this devash or this rod and devash on top of it that would help to cure the injury to the gamal. Says, wait a minute, why don't you just release the saddlebags and let them fall to the ground? Says, this flasks or that the honey was contained in would burst if he did that and he would lose everything. So, what about doing what we had suggested before? It says, that the flasks would spill or would break open a little bit and they would dirty the kalim that were there, the karim v'kesatot, then it would be mevatel klimeichano, if he allowed them to fall and then dirty it, it would be mevatel klimeichano, which he didn't want to do. When it says, wait a minute, earlier in the Masechta, we said, yes, when the animal is stuck in the water channel, you could put the Karim Kasatot to let him out, because you have the conflict between Tsar Bale Chaim and Mavatok Chano. And the Gemara says that Tsar Bale Chaim trumps Mavatok Chano, because Tsar Bale Chaim is the Oraita, Mavatok Chano is the Dirabanan. It's a weaker Dirabanan, and therefore it overrides. This Mavatok Chano is overridden by Tsar Bale Chaim the Oraita. And that's what the Gemara says here. Ha'ika Tsar Bale Chaim. Okay, yes, it's Mavatok Chano, but you have that offsetting fact which is it? Yitzar Balichayim. Savar Tsar Balichayim Dirabanan. He thinks that the Easter of Tsar Balichayim is only a din Dirabanan. Again, it's machloket in the Gemara in Baba Metzia as to whether it's Dirabanan or Raita. If you have it's only Dirabanan, then you have a Dirabanan versus Dirabanan. We're not going to be Mavatel Mavatel Klimeichano. Only if it's Doraita does it override, and that's why he didn't release the bags, and the animal ended up dying. Abaye found Rabo, Rabo who's his Rebbe. He was rubbing his son's back on the back of a chabor. He wanted to play with him, have a couple of laughs with his kid, tickle him. So he was rubbing the back of his child on Shabbat. He was picking him up and down, rubbing his back along the animal. You are utilizing live animals on Shabbat. And we know from the Gemara and Beitza, the Mishnah and Beitza, that one is not allowed to use Balechaim. Animals are muksa on Shabbat. One is not allowed to utilize animals on Shabbat or to pick them up, to engage with them in any way that would be problematic for muksa. Over here, you're playing around with this animal. You're having your kid play on the animal. That's not allowed on Shabbat. I'm only, it's I'm only doing it on the side. That's like tzidei muksa. When it comes to tzidim, when it comes to these issues... We only say that if you utilize the animal fully, either you pick it up or you get on top of it, whatever that is, that's where the problem is of muksa. But when you're just utilizing the side of the animal, where there's no fear that you're going to climb onto the animal and there's not fear that you're going to lift the animal, over there there's no din of muksa or problem really of tashmish, utilizing the animal on Shabbat, which we fear riding the horse on Shabbat, we fear that you're going to break off a branch to be a goad or to be a prod for the animal, so on and so forth. But here you're not utilizing in a way that would cause that problem. Tamra. How can I prove it to you that that's the case? That's the Dimar Mudar. It's not. You have the Mishnah. Matir Chavalim Ve'asakim Noflim. President can release the strings that hold the saddlebags together. And Noflim, they fall. My love. Be'chibur Gevalki. Tell you about something that's connected or saddlebags that are the Gevalki type. Havalei Tzadim. Therefore they are Tzadim. Tzadim lo gazru ba'arabanan. And that's why it's Mutar. Where it says, no, lo be'chibur ha'gevalki. So lo havu Tzadim. The other type of connection that is not Tzadim. So this Gevalki, if you see on the side, the Aruch says that these are Sakim. These are bags or saddlebags. Rashi and Tosafot explain that this Chibur 
Gavur Gavalki, you can see in the Tosa, it's easy to see, Shnei Sakim, there are two bags, two saddlebags, Echad B'yamina Chamor Ve'echad B'smolo. They're draped over the animal, like in the saddlebags where you have it on each side of the animal. And then the way that they stay on the animal is that you tie them together. Either you have straps that go across that connect them, or you have a knot in the middle between them that holds them together. And they're held on the animal because the knot sits at the top of the animal, and then the bags hang down to the side. And each one bounces the other out. Now, how do you release them? You have to release the knot on the top, or the straps that are holding them together. In order to undo the straps, in order to undo the knot that will release the bags, you have to lean on the animal. The lead oh, in the side of the animal in order to get access to either lift up the rope off the animal slightly to release the knot or the straps. And because of that, you'll be leaning on the tzidei, on the tzadim of the animal. So Abba says, look, you see here that you're allowed to release this knot by leaning on the side of the animal. Why? Because lo gazru rabonlan. But we're not gozer in this case. Gemara says, no, who says that those are the types of bags we're talking about? Maybe it's a saddlebag called agavalki. Agav. I think it means on the back. I would have called it that way. Rashi says, Gavalki is that the two of them are connected not by a knot or by straps, but rather by a pin. The bags themselves either had loops on them or they had ropes that had loops on them, a ring of some sort. You pull the two rings together and then you stick a peg or a clasp into that ring. And then when you put the peg or the clasp into the ring, they again pull against each other. And the rings pull against each other, holding them in place. But to release them is much easier. You don't have to undo any knots. You don't have to do any straps. You just simply pull the pin out. Pulling the pin out won't require you to lean on the animal. So that's the difference between them. The difference being whether the sacks are easily released, and therefore you don't have to lean on the animal. Or it's more difficult to release the sacks, and therefore you'd have to lean on the animal. So Rabba suggested that the mission is talking about a case where it's difficult to release them and you would lean on the animal. And Abaya says, no, that doesn't have to be the case. The case can be here, we're talking about sacks. They can release simply by pulling the pin. Inami belechta, or we're talking about elechta, the clips or clasps that lock together, that again, that are easily released. Instead of using a peg to hold them together, they two rings connect together. And that's what keeps them together. But again, the releasing of them is much easier than undoing a knot or undoing straps that are connected together. That if you have two walls of the sukkah that are man-made, and one of them is an ilan, a tree, shera, then the sukkah is kasher. You're not allowed to go into this sukkah on Yom Tov. As Rashi points out, all the sukkot, in the Gemara, in the Mishnah, are called Olim when you go up to the Sukkah, and Yordim when you come out of the Sukkah, because the majority of their Sukkot were found on their roofs. Their roofs are flat. You see, like most of the Arab homes around here, today we have these pointed roofs to allow the water to flow out. They use the roofs for putting out the fruits to dry. They were one of the floors of the house that was used, and therefore they had these flat roofs. Flat roofs is where they used to put the Sukkah. They used to build their Sukkah on the top of the house, on the roof. Therefore, anytime you want to go to the sukkah, it's olin le sukkah. Anytime you come out of the sukkah, it's yodim mina sukkah. So that's the terminology of olin le yodim, even though you may not be going up or down, even if the sukkah is on the ground, it's a borrowed term because that's where the main place where sukkot were found. That's number one. Number two is, tell us the photo over here, it says, What does it mean here that you have two man-made walls and one that's from a tree? Two ways that Tosad explains it is, one is, you're talking about a tree and the walls, but the tree and the walls are not actually the walls of the sukkah, rather the base of the sukkah. They're holding up the sukkah in the air, and you have two support walls that are man-made, and one that's the tree, and then you build the platform in the sukkah up in the air. And that platform is sitting 
on a tree and on two walls that are man-made. And that's why anytime you go into the sukkah now, you're using the tree because the sukkah is sitting on the tree. That's one way to say it. The other way to say it is that there are two walls that are man-made and the third wall is a tree. It's actually a tree that is the wall. And then you put the schach leaning on the two walls and the tree. And the problem is not the sukkah itself, but rather the schach is leaning on the tree. As Tosafot points out over here, they used to use and leave things on top of their schach. They used to put their pots or other items to store. They used to put them up onto the roof, put them up on top of the schach. So that would be a problem because you can't use that schach, which is leaning on the tree. That's the two possibilities of what this case is. There's a problem of the ilan. So again, the sukkah itself is k'sherah. Sukkah is no problem because the tree can act as a wall. You don't have any issue of mechubar lekarka by walls or by support to hold up the sukkah. You don't have problem mechubar lekarka when you talk about the sukkah itself. So here it's no problem in terms of k'sherut of the sukkah. The problem is enolim labi yom tov. Can't go on yom tov because then you're mishtamish by ilan. You're using a tree on yom tov. My love, the chak baby ilan. Cases here is where he carves into the tree. And the utilization of the tree is not to be the support either of the schach or not to be the support of the base wall. But what they did was they took two trees and they carved little wedges into the trees. And then they stuck beams to run across from tree to tree. Very similar if you go into your Shalim a lot, you see this, that they used to take old walls, including the Kotel, and they used to carve little holes into them and insert the, the beams for the roof into the stones across. So similar here, they carve these little holes into the two side trees and then put beams into them. Now the beams are then stacked up. Either those beams will be the wall of the sukkah or those beams will support the sukkah either way, depending on which way that Tosavot explained it before. So it will be supporting schach or it will be supporting the sukkah itself. And therefore here that is stadim and utstadim asurim. And the stadim are asur. What you see from this Mishnah, if that's what the case is, you're not using the ilan itself, you're not using the tree itself, you're using a derivative of the tree, something that is stuck into the tree. And in being stuck into the tree, you now have what we call stadim. You're only using the side of the tree, you're not using the tree itself, using a something that is utilizing the tree to support it, which is stadim. And nevertheless, it says, asur lalot labiyom tov. So here you see, stadim are asurim. No, he didn't put in something into the ilan. He simply tied the tree down. By tying the tree down, that became the wall for that side. And then he rests the schach on top of the tree directly. So you're using the tree directly, not in an indirect manner. You're sitting really literally on top of the tree. Again, according to Tosafot, it could be either way, either the whole sukkah is sitting on the tree, or... That the schach is sitting on the tree, but you're utilizing the tree itself. You're using the tree itself, and that's why it's a sur here, but it doesn't teach us anything about stadim. Then what are you going to do with the latter half of that mission, if that's the way you explain it? Shalosh bide adam, you have three walls that are man-made. And you're allowed to go into it on Yom Tov. If you tie the tree down to build the fourth wall, why are you allowed to go in onto Yom Tov? can't be that you can go into a Yom Tov either again. It's supporting the Schach, or it's one of the walls that's holding up the Sukkah. Even though halakhically it's not necessary, this wall, nevertheless it is functional, and it is holding up the Sukkah, and is involved in holding up the Sukkah, or, or the Schach. Therefore you couldn't go in on Yom Tov to it. Yet the Mishnah says, You're allowed to go into on Yom Tov. So it can't be that you're directly leaning on the tree. It must be, Elamai, Stadim Asurim. It is that it's, it's Stadim, and it's Stadim Arasur. I says, so, so, Amai Olim Labi How does that solve your problem? Your suggestion is that it's Stadim. So in the first case, Stadim are Asurim. And in the second case, we have Stadim again, and they should be Asurim as well. I don't know how you solve your problem. Whether it's the tree itself, or whether it's Stadim, 
You haven't really solved your problem because this first case says, and the second case says, So that can't be the explanation, or that doesn't help us in explaining this Mishnah. So he says, We're talking about here that the tree simply functions as a wall, but not as a support. It's there, and it acts as the wall of the sukkah, but does not function to hold up the schach, or to hold up the, in this case, according to Tozo, the base of the sukkah. It's not there to hold it up, it's just the last wall. And since it's the last wall, and it's not being utilized, that's why it is okay to go on Yom Tov, because it's simply a wall that has no function in terms of holding up the sukkah or the schach. In that instance... You can go into it on Yom Tov because you're not mishtamish. You're not using it at all. And they can have me. It makes sense. Tiktani. Because the Mishnah then continues and says, Zaklau. Shkol she'ilu yinatel ha'ilan. If you would take out the tree, v'yacholol ha'amot, and the sukkah would still be standing, holding la'bi Yom Tov. Then you go into it on Yom Tov. Shmamina. That this tree is simply functioning as a wall without any support function. So if you could pull it out, and it's either not supporting the base of the sukkah or not supporting the schach, everything would stand without that wall there, then it's not really functioning as a support for the sukkah. And that's why it's mutar lalot la'biyom tov. So the difference between the first case and the second case is the number of walls that you have here. The first case, you have two walls, and then the third one is the ilan. Over there, the ilan is essential to holding anything up. Not that there two walls opposite each other. You're talking about two man-made walls that are on a right angle. And the third wall is the tree. In that case, the tree is absolutely necessary to either hold up the schach or to hold up the base of the sukkah. You pull the tree out from there, the whole thing is going to collapse. So in that case, you can't go into a Yom Tov because the tree is clearly functional as a support part of the sukkah. On the other hand, in the latter case, we have three walls man-made and only the fourth wall is the tree. There, the fourth wall is not necessary to support it. You could have the schach sitting on top of the man-made walls without ever touching the tree. You could have the base of the sukkah, the treehouse sukkah, held up by three walls without any problem. It won't tip over or any other problem. You don't need that fourth wall to support it because it's unnecessary. Therefore, that's not counted as a problem of enolina biyomtu. You're not really using the tree. The tree is not necessary here. So that's how the Gemara explains that Mishnah. And in that case, the Mishnah has nothing to do with Tzadim in the end. It's really not a question of Tzadim or not Tzadim. Rather, a case of whether the tree is necessary or not necessary to support the Sukkah. The Gemara says, Let us say that this Machloka between Abai and Rabu is actually a Machloka Tanaim. As to whether there is a problem of Tzadim or not. You're not allowed to go into a Sukkah in Yom Tov. You're allowed to go into it, Yom Tov. My love. They're arguing about the Marsavar Tzadim Asurim. Marsavar Mutarim. It's Machloket, the letter Tzadim. Using something, a derivative of the tree, is Mutarar Asur on Yom Tov. Amar Abayi, no. Lo, the Kuli Yamat Tzadim Asurim. Everybody thinks Tzadim Asurim, like Abayi's opinion. Racha Bitzidei Tzadim Bikamiflegei. Here they are arguing about the derivative of derivative. Marsavar Tzidei Tzadim Asurim. One of them holds that the double derivative is Asur. Masavet Sitzet Tzadim is Mutarim. The double derivative is Mutar. The difference being whether, and the example that we're going to come up to in the Gemara, which is an easy way to understand is, if you drive a peg into a tree, you drive a peg or a nail into a tree, then that peg is called Tzadim. That's using or utilizing the side of the tree. If you hang something from that peg, or you suspend something across from those two pegs, that is called Sitzet Tzadim. Because that's a derivative of something that is a derivative of the tree. 
And that's what we call Sidei Tzadim. So something that's leaning on the tree directly, that's called Sidei Ayilon. Something that is leaning on something that is leaning on the side of the tree or attached to the side of the tree, that's called Sidei Tzadim. So that's what Abayi suggests over here. Everybody agrees that if you utilize the tree itself, even though it's a derivative tree, if you put the beams connected into the tree, that is a problem of Tzadim and it's Asur. But if the beams, if you put in, for whatever reason, you put in blocks of wood, you nail in blocks of wood into the tree, and then you support on those blocks of wood beams, or you put in nails and drive them in, and then on those nails you sift the beams, that would be okay, or a machlokit here between these tanaim, as to whether it's Sidei Tzadim is Asur Umutar. That's the way Abayi suggests. Rov Amar, the two are correlated. Whoever thinks that utilizing this side of the tree is problematic also thinks using a derivative of the side of the tree is also problematic. Whoever says it's mutar in a double derivative, is also matir in a single derivative. So that there is a correlation. You can't split between these two dinim. challenges Rav's position. You drive a nail or a peg into the tree. And he hangs a basket on it above Tfachim, above ten Tfachim. Ain Eruvo Eruv. His Eruv is not a good Eruv. Below ten Tfachim, it is a good Eruv. Again, introduction to Eruvin. Here, when you want to make what we call an Eruv Tchumin, it's a person who wants to change the location of his house on Shabbat, so he gets 2,000 Amot from this new location. The way that he does that is he sets up before Shabbat food in a certain location, and he makes that his, quote-unquote, home for Shabbat. Even though he's in his house, his house is within the tchum of this new home, and that will be where he claims he's going to settle for Shabbat, and that will grant him 2,000 amot from that location. The only din is that you have to be able to access, benesh mashot, you have to be able to access that food. If the food is above 10 tfachim, then the basket is a rishut yachit, and you are standing in rishut rabim, you're not going to be able to get the food. Because above 10 tfachim, is a Rishut Yachin when you have a 4x4 four four Tfachim area. And a basket typically has 4x4 four four Tfachim and it has a base. Whenever you have a Rishut Yachin above 10 Tfachim, you're standing in Rishut Yachin, you can't get access to it, it's not a good Eruv. If it's below 10 Tfachim, then at worst it's a Carmelite. At worst it's a Carmelite, and that's only an Isudur Abanan. And therefore you could be in Rishut Yachin and you can access it. That's what gives two possibilities about it. Either there isn't in Karmelit B'Kelim, which is something that Rashi said back, I think, on Dabchet of the Mesechta, that Kelim don't have a din in Karmelit. Karmelit is only by Rishiyot and not by Kelim. Or the other possibility, which we'll bump into in Eruvin a lot, which is that the Rabbanan were not Gozer Benesh Mashot. So Benesh Mashot is when the Eruv is Koneh. And Benesh Mashot, the Chachamir, not Gozer on a Karmelit. So Benesh Mashot, technically you could get your stuff from the Rishut Rabim, from the basket that's hanging below Tent Vachim. But that's as far as the din itself. But, what do you have here? Taimo The reason that you're allowed to gain access to this basket is because it's hanging on a peg on the tree. Ha, lonats, had he not driven a peg into the tree, and it was hanging on the tree itself, even if it's below ten t'vachim, it's a problem. Why? If you use the tree directly, you hang the basket on the tree directly, it's problematic. But if you put it on a peg, then it's mutar, it's not problematic. So here you have a ta'ana that differentiates between stadim and tzidet stadim, like what Abayi suggested, not like Rava. Amar Rava, Amar Rapapa, Rapapa defends Rava's position and says, Hacha b'kalkala dechuka askinan. They're talking about a kalkala that's either jammed in there or hung in such a manner 
By definition, when you take off the basket from this tree, you're going to be forced to move the tree because of the way it's wedged in here or because of the nature of the basket being tight on the top. There's a narrow top to it and you're going to have to reach into it to take it out and you have to bend it towards you. By pulling it towards you, you're going to pull the tree towards you. Whatever it is that you need to do to gain access to this basket, it's going to cause you to move the tree. By moving the tree... Then, then you're using the tree itself, not just stay Elan, using the Elan itself to lower the basket to you or to tip the basket towards you, and that is problematic. So here, the reason that the Tana over there says, don't hang it on the tree directly, only on a peg, is because of this issue of utilization of the tree itself. He holds that Stadim are mutar, but he can't have Stadim over here because it's attached or it's a type of basket that's going to cause you to move the tree itself, and that's what's problematic here. The Hilchatah, the Aloha is Tzadin Asurin, using or utilizing the side of the tree or leaning on the tree is Asur. Tzidet Tzadin Mutarim, but using a derivative of something on the side of the tree is Mutar. Tosfot asks here, and he has no answer to this, he says, the Gemara just paskins like Abaye. Gemara just paskins like Abaye, naked Rova. We know that there are six locations where the Gemara says we paskin like Abaye over Rova, Yal Kagam. Those are the six cases where we Paskin Abaye over Rava, and this is not one of those six cases. How come this isn't mentioned as a seventh case where we Paskin like Abaye over Rava? Tosa leaves that as unresolved. Amravashi, Now that you say that Sadimar Surim, Haidarga, Demidla, if you have a ladder that you want to place, Lo Inish Adikla, don't lean the ladder on the deck on the palm tree. Because then you're utilizing the side of the tree. By leaning the ladder on the tree, you're using the tree, a derivative of the tree. When you walk up the ladder, you're using something that is now a derivative of the tree, that's the name of the tree. You should place it on the peg, or something that is jutting out from the deck, yeah? because then the ladder becomes a tzideh stadim. The tzadim is this peg, whatever it is, jutting out from the palm tree. And now you're leaning something on that, that becomes a double derivative, or tzidei tzadim, and that's mutar. When you go up or climb the ladder, make sure you step on the rungs, and not on the peg that is on the tree. When the, when the ladder is leaning on this peg, make sure that you're stepping on the rungs of the ladder, which is tzidei tzadim, and don't put your foot onto that peg that is protruding from the tree, because that peg would be considered tzadim. So you can't step onto that peg. This also comes up, with hammocks. That one may not have a hammock that is hanging between two trees if the hammock is tied directly to the tree. If the two ends of the hammock, each end is tied to the tree, then you may not use the hammock on Shabbat and Yom Tov, because that's classified as Stadim. That is a derivative of the tree. On the other hand, if you drive a peg or a nail into the two trees, and then you hang the hammock from those nails then you can utilize the hammock on Shabbat or Yom Tov because that is Tzidei Tzadim. It's a double derivative of the tree and then it's Mutar to use it on Shabbat. So there's somewhere where it comes up, if you want to utilize a hammock on Shabbat between trees that you need to have it hanging from something that is driven into the tree rather than from the trees themselves. Same with ladders or anything else that you're going to lean. You can't lean them directly on the trees to utilize them. You have to lean them on something that is a derivative of the tree like is suggested over here. Okay, we'll stop over here.